So reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. A reading from Luke chapter 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning, everyone. Will you please stand? Uh, it is our practice every single week um, to, right in the middle of the service, and right as we prepare to consider and wrestle through the Word of God, um, to entrust ourselves, to believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is to uh, entrust ourselves completely uh, to God. And so, I invite you to join together and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray as we stand. Almighty Father, as we uh, come now to consider the scriptures, um, we just said we, we believe in you, the Father. We believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Some of us are struggling. Um, don't even know if we could even say that truthfully. Some of us say it with all of our heart. Um, or at least we think we say it with all of our heart. But in any event, will you now come and um, give us clarity of thought? Um, we ask that you would apply uh, scripture to our lives, not just here in this moment, but throughout our week, throughout our whatever we're facing, whatever's going on. You know what's going on. I don't. Most of us don't know what's going on in our lives deeply. But you know everything. So will you uh, take your good news and um, sharply apply it to our lives that we may know you more in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please take a seat. And uh, it's helpful if you turn back to page 10. We're continuing a series in uh, Luke's uh, uh, 24th chapter. So this is, this is you know, the first, the first Easter day. And uh, we're, we're taking kind of paragraph at a time. We're going to be looking at that first paragraph almost exclusively this morning. And this is the big reveal. So uh, on Friday, just to get, um, jump into the context, on Friday, Jesus dies. The disciples, understandably, are just decimated. But then on Sunday, all day on Sunday, there's all these rumors that maybe he's alive. And finally now, Jesus appears to the disciples. And here's what I want to show you today. Peace. Did you notice it in the, in the epistle reading, the first reading? We're not going to really talk about it, but it was there. Did you notice how we just said, the peace of the Lord be with you? Peace. And Jesus' physical body. Those two things don't initially seem like they have anything to do with each other. However, the reality is what I want to show you is that they are so closely linked, peace, Jesus' physical body, that you cannot have one without the other. You can't have peace without Jesus' physical body. And if you have Jesus' physical body, and you understand what that means, you'll inevitably have peace. They're intrinsically related. Now, Look at the reading. At the beginning of the story, just to orient you to this reading, at the beginning of the story, Jesus says to his disciples, peace to you. We're going to be talking about that. And then at the end of the reading, Jesus then, after he kind of explains himself, he says, he so to speak commissions them to go out and share his peace with the world. That's what verse 47, Jesus says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all the nations. That, that's the whole passage. Jesus gives peace. His disciples share peace. And that's the whole passage. And arguably, that's the entirety of the Christian life. Um, the whole of the Christian life is receiving peace and sharing peace. That's the whole game. That's the task of us as a church. And, and I, I could end the sermon there. Um, but I'm not going to. And you know I'm not going to do that. 
there's a problem. And the problem is that when we use the word peace, that word in English, very often we don't know what it means. And it sort of, at least to, to me, it, it has connotations of a John Lennon song. Do you know what I mean by that? Peace, warm fuzziness. Um, I, a few years ago at the opening uh, um, uh, ceremonies of the Olympics, I think Yoko Ono jumped up and said, let's all think peace. And it's, and it's, and it's lovely. It's lovely. However, the problem is, very often when we use the word peace in those kinds of songs and in popular usage, very often we mean something that's sentimental and idealistic and a little romantic. But the problem is, the way we talk about peace can sometimes inspire us right up until the moment we slam into the hellish realities of our life. Do you know what I mean by that? When you slam up against the hellish realities of our life that all of us have to do, very often peace language, the way we often speak of it, just rings empty. It rings empty. But now, look back at this text, because what I want to show you is that when Jesus says peace in this text, it does not ring empty. And the reason is that right in the center of the passage, Jesus eats broiled fish. Jesus eats broiled fish. Now, what, what I'm, I know this is, none of this makes sense yet, but we'll, you, we'll get there. If Jesus eats that fish, if he gets hungry and he eats that fish, then it means that the peace he gave the disciples a minute before that, it means that his peace can trample down hell and will last eternally. That's what I want to show you. And I realize none of it makes sense yet, but... When this reading gets into us, friends, it will change the way we think about the whole idea of peace. It'll change the way we think of our bodies. It'll change the way you think about other people's bodies. It'll change the way you think about the mission and the purpose and the task of this church and your life. It'll change all of those things. So, come with me, because I gotta fill in a big backstory to explain it all. Okay? Now, the backstory, we're going to go right back to the very beginning of the Bible. Um, if you think about, if you've heard the story of uh, the creation story at the beginning of the book of Genesis, um, what happens is the scene opens in the very first verses of the Bible. And a few things happens, but what you get right at the beginning is a chaotic world that cannot support life. So God hovers over the waters, but, but there's no life. This, it's not an environment, it's not a habitat yet. It's just a, a kind of raw matter, but it cannot support life. And then in Genesis chapter 1, God starts creating. And part of what happens, not the only thing, but part of what happens when God starts creating is that God starts setting everything in proper order. Um, and and it's, it's a little bit like he organizes the place. So he separates the day from the night. You might remember that. He separates the sea from the land. And he separates a bunch of other things. And what he's doing is he's creating boundaries in this creation. And he's setting the stage so that those boundaries can help life to happen. So that life can flourish. God starts with kind of chaos. And then God reshapes it 
until life flourishes. And all through the creation story, um, you can see that everything God does is driven by his self-giving love. And you can see that when he says, he looks at life starting to happen and he says, good. Good. I love this. And then, toward the end of Genesis chapter 1, when life is really flourishing and everything's ready, God creates humanity. Male and female, God creates humanity. Now, slow down with me for just a second and think about the word peace. When the Bible uses the word peace, in the Old Testament, the word is shalom. It does not usually mean what we often use it to mean. So it does not mean inward serenity and the absence of stressed outness. Right? Now, I hope you are inwardly serene, and I hope there's no stressed outness in your life. But that is not what the Bible means when the Bible uses the word peace or shalom. Peace and shalom in the Bible is what God was doing at the very beginning in creating the world. And here's my best kind of description of it. It's a mouthful, so listen closely. Peace and shalom in the Bible is the flourishing of life and relationships because of the self-giving love of God. Let me say that again. Peace and shalom is the flourishing of life and relationships because of the self-giving love of God. So a few minutes ago when we were all saying, peace to you, peace to you, we weren't just saying hi, you might have thought that, but what we were actually saying is, may your life flourish and your relationships flourish because of the self-giving love of God. But that's a lot of words, so we just say peace to you. Now that's what God is doing at creation. Throughout the story of creation, God makes life flourish and then God makes relationships a joy, and he's doing all of it because God is giving himself in love to this creation that he doesn't need. That's the pattern of peace, shalom, in the scriptures. But then, watch this. From the very beginning, the human body is central to the whole program. Why do I say that? Well, remember that humans are pretty much the last thing that God makes. And when God makes the human body, the human beings, male and female, he makes them very unique. Um, if you remember the story, it says that um, God makes humanity in his own image, and then right away God gives them a, a mission, a task, a job. And the mission and the task and the job that God gives the humans is that they are to have dominion over creation. Now, dominion doesn't mean domination. What it means is that humans were supposed to live in God's peace, enjoy it, and then represent it or share it out with all of creation. That is to say, we were designed to be God's representatives and God's ambassadors in the world. So that God's self-giving love uh, that makes life and relationships flourish, we were to receive that and live under that and enjoy that. And then part of our work with one another and with the world around us was to um, share that self-giving outwardly so that life and relationships could flourish more and more and more and more in this world. Or let me say it differently again. 
Out of all of creation, the human body was designed to know God and receive his self-giving love and then to serve the world and to share that self-giving love so that our bodies are 100% part of this world. We're mammals. But our bodies are also 100% designed to know God and imitate his self-giving love. Now, I belabor this because the human body was designed at the very beginning to be a kind of epicenter of real peace in this world. And as soon as I say that, there's a huge problem. The human body is supposed to be the epicenter of real peace in the world. Is your body an epicenter of real peace in this world? And, th and this gets very serious. Speaking personally, some of my earliest memories, some of the earliest awarenesses I have of my body is all wrapped up in memories of people using their bodies against my body in a way that shattered peace in my life. And I say that without adding any details to it because I don't need to. Because most of us here can fill in the details from your own story. Our bodies, am I wrong about this? Our bodies are not usually epicenters of peace. They are very often epicenters of our wounding. And that's true of me. My earliest memories, some of them at least, are of somebody shattering my shalom by using their body against my body. And almost certainly, something totally different but deeply similar happened to you. And this is why we need to talk about sin. Because sin is the opposite of shalom. Shalom and peace is the flourishing of life and relationships through the self-giving love of God. But sin is when that shalom is shattered. Sin is when that shalom is shattered because of the self-serving and taking desires of the human heart. Instead of self-giving, we take and we use and we shatter the shalom in others. And when shalom is shattered in our lives, what it does is it, it inevitably distorts how we relate to bodies, to the human body, ours and others. The human body is supposed to be the epicenter of peace. God's peace received, God's peace shared. But sin just destroys the whole dynamic so that our bodies become epicenters of shattered shalom. What do I mean by that? What does it look like? Well, you know what it looks like because you've experienced it all your life. Happens a lot of different ways. Uh, when your shalom is shattered, uh, sometimes we end up hating our bodies. Hating our bodies. Or hating other people because of their bodies. Racism is more than that, but not less. Sometimes it ends up that we covet other people's bodies. Lustfully, whatever. Sometimes it means that we just wish we had a different body. That's one of the main ones for me all my life. 
Sometimes we neglect our bodies. Sometimes we overindulge our bodies. Sometimes we become deeply indifferent. We never even notice the needs of other people's bodies. Or sometimes we take some of the gifts that God has given our bodies. For instance, the ability to speak and, and understand ideas, um, which is meant to, we are supposed to receive God's peace through his word of love to us and then speak his peace, um, sharing his word of love to others. But very often we, we take the ability to speak and we weaponize it and we use it against one another and sometimes we enjoy it and we call it humor or whatever it may be. And these are just examples, but can you see how sin leverages the body? Always does. Sin shatters the shalom in us, and that, uh, the result is just deep wounding. But also, um, we join in and we shatter shalom in others, and that leads to guilt. And all the while, we know deep down that there's something wrong, but the, the human self-centered desires is always driving us to try to solve that something wrong that's down in us. We always try to solve it inevitably by running away from shalom instead of running to it. And so it ends up the problem just gets worse. See, and, and then, and then, see, this is one of the reasons why, and this is, is going to be a weird turn, this is one of the reasons why death matters in the Bible. There's lots of reasons why death matters in the Bible, but one of the reasons is um, that sin, the shattering of shalom, if shalom is meant to help life flourish, then sin kills life. And there's a way in which um, God, when he looks at us shattering shalom, he, he, he ends up limiting our lifespan by death, uh, partially because if we were to live forever shattering shalom in one another, um, we would just destroy everything around us, and arguably we might be doing that now anyway. So sin promotes death, and in the scripture, death limits sin's impact. One lifetime at a time. Now, everybody breathe. Jim, you are an awful long way from that passage. Why don't you get back to it? Thank you. But we're actually not that far from the passage. Look back at the passage. Jesus dies on Friday. Disciples devastated. But now it's Sunday. Rumors that Jesus is alive. I don't know how Jesus did it, but all of a sudden, he's in their room. And they're just utterly terrified. And instantly, Jesus says, peace to you. What does that mean? Does it mean, calm down, don't stress out, it's okay? Yeah, but no. What's he going on about? Jesus, in that moment, the first thing that he says is he's imparting peace to them. He's saying, disciples, I have taken away your shattered shalom and I replace it with the self-giving love of God that makes life and relationships flourish. But that's a mouthful, so instead he just says, peace. But then keep on going with the reading. Why is it that immediately Jesus shows them his body? And in particular, why does he show them his wounds? This is crucial. He wants to make sure that they understand that he's not a ghost. They thought he was a ghost. Ghosts are scary. Ghosts don't give peace. Jesus wants to make sure that they don't think he's a ghost. But there's something even deeper in the grand story of the Bible. The human body, remember, is designed to share peace. However, no human body has been able to do that because all of our human bodies are shattered by sin. 
And that's why the only way shalom could be restored is if God himself took a human body. It had to be a human body. And in Christ, God himself becomes human. And then comes the cross. Remember, in creation, God took chaos, reordered it so that life flourished. On the cross, God did that, but much better. He took the shattering of our sin, the chaos, and the shattering of our shalom. And all of that shattered shalom came down upon him. So that Jesus took upon himself the wounding, woundedness of your body, the woundedness of my soul. And not only that, did that did Jesus took upon his own body the guilt perpetrated against your body and the guilt perpetrated through your body. All of that shattered shalom came down upon him and Jesus died the death that we deserved. Don't ever sentimentalize the peace of Christ. Because Jesus went through hell to gain it for you. And so he shows his body, but not just his body, his wounds. And he shows that to show the price of real peace. Jesus' wounds, the cross, is what self-giving love really looks like. See, no longer is creation simply the pattern of what shalom looks like. Now, the cross of Jesus Christ is the definition of what real peace looks like. But then, but then, keep going with the story. What about the broiled fish? I like fish. I like fish a lot. Some of us don't like fish, but that's okay. Why is it in the Bible? This is important. Remember, peace and shalom is when God's self-giving love makes life and relationships flourish. And Jesus' resurrection proved that life was flourishing over death because death was defeated and worked backwards. And therefore, that shows, if life is working backwards, it shows that God's self-giving love had really successfully purchased our peace and shalom. And, and that's why it's so important. Jesus eating seafood is not just eating Jesus eating seafood. He's demonstrating that now this body which had died and now is alive again, he's demonstrating that this body, his body, is now the epicenter of peace. It's the source of it. Now, lovely Jim, what does it have to do with anything? Well, I think maybe you already know it has to do everything to do with everything. It sets the agenda for our church. Did you know that? Verse 48, we're going to talk about this next week more, but verse 48, Jesus sends out the church to share his peace with the world. Humans from the very beginning were designed to share God's peace, and the church is commissioned to go out and share the peace that we have received from Jesus. And we were to share that peace that we received from Jesus, not just on Sundays, not just now, but tomorrow at 11 a.m., and Friday at 11 p.m., and all the time in between. We are to receive continually Jesus' peace and share it out. We're going to talk about that more next week. But in order to do that, friends, the obvious thing is that we have to deeply, continuously receive the peace of Jesus Christ. You can never give away what you do not have yourself. And so I want to end by, doing, by spending a little bit of time in prayer. 
Um, the only way Christianity is, has any value at all is if the same Jesus that ate broiled fish on that day is active today. And so what I want to do is take a few minutes and pray, and I'm going to ask Jesus to apply very particularly his peace to you and to your story. Um, and so there's no surprises. I'm going to simply ask that the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, will apply the peace Jesus' body purchased, apply it to our woundedness and our guilt and to the way we view our bodies and to the way we relate to other people's bodies. And the deeper that peace goes, the more transformed we will be. Pray with me. Um, what we do with our body matters. I sometimes, when I'm praying, like to open up my palms upward. And, and that, that just reminds me that everything really, really good comes as a gift from God. Grace is a gift. Reminds me that this whole thing, prayer is just receiving a gift. I invite you to do that. Almighty Father, we ask and we recognize the work of your Holy Spirit now. Father, your Holy Spirit loves to apply very deeply the peace that Jesus purchased. And so, Father, I pray that just like when Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, peace to you, will you grant by your Holy Spirit that that word of peace will drill a hole into our souls and go down to the very depth of who we are. Lord Jesus Christ, you purchased our peace upon the cross. And you promised that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, that you will give the Holy Spirit. And I pray that right now, in every one of us, you would begin to show us in a deeper way what it means to walk under your peace. And I want to particularly pray Lord Jesus, that you will speak peace into our wounded souls. All of us here know what it is to have our shalom shattered. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, will you flood our fears and our woundedness with love from your cross. Some of us can't even, can't even conceive of trusting you deeply. So, Lord, give us trust that we cannot produce ourselves. And now, Lord Jesus, will you speak peace into our guilt? And in particular, um, some of us have, have spent years and years and years hiding our guilt, um, trying to get over it by forgetting it and by hiding it from others. So now, by your Holy Spirit, will you uncover and begin to address hidden areas of guilt that we've just covered up but they've never really been dealt with? Lord Jesus, will you speak peace to those areas? All our guilt was taken care of in your death. Persuade us. Speak peace.
And Lord Jesus, will you now speak peace in the way we relate to our own bodies? Take away self-loathing. Take away body hatred. And I pray that you will um, bring to mind people, wise Christians right now, that we can talk about some of these things with. Lord Jesus, your body tells us who we are. So grant that your body would tell us who we are. And then, finally, speak peace into the way we relate to other people's bodies. Take away the lust that makes us want to use other people's bodies. Take away the covetousness that, wants, that makes us want to be another body. Um, and show us the cross and fill us with such confidence and security in you that we would be free to give ourselves to others in love that imitates the way you have loved us freely and in joy. So speak your peace until we know we are safe in you and until we know that joy, in Jesus' name, amen.